Hey, it's John Francois. Join me and my co-host Main Squeeze Mary every week for some crazy fun pop culture chatter. It's called the Anything Show. Here's a taste. Did you know that Japan has banned screaming on roller coasters to try to limit the spread of coronavirus as amusement parks reopen? You cannot scream in Japan on a roller coaster. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, you've been on a roller coaster with me, Mary. I'm almost on the verge of crying. I curse a million different curse words. You said every single curse word there is. Yeah, and 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 there were people laughing that were around my age, and then there were and then there were kids next to me that were wondering what the heck these new words were that they were learning. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was it was insane. So after they get off the ride, they say, "Mommy, Daddy, what does this mean?" <laughs> and they're like, oh, "Where did you hear that?" Find the Anything Show with John Francois on. Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also follow us on Facebook at The Anything Show and on Instagram at Anything Show Francois. Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm back with another installment of the News of the Month series on the Kerr Reviews podcast. This is where I talk about a few different entertainment news stories that feel important and or interesting to me. And each of the stories you'll be hearing me talk about have been divided into four separate categories. And joining me today is someone who has 10 years of radio experience under his belt, as well as backgrounds in different professions such as broadcasting and theatrical acting. He has also ventured through the mediums of film, television, theater, and, as one may expect, voiceover. He's also the host and producer of The Anything Show with John Francois. Please welcome John Francois. Hey, Jeffrey. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. And to start things off, how have you been doing during this time of lockdown due to the coronavirus? I've been okay. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, my, my mental health has been affected here and there. Um, I, I do uh, deal with uh, anxiety, depression, and, and stress here and there. So when you have a pandemic that is forcing you to uh, stay inside because there's not anything to do, uh, for me, as someone who's mostly extrovert, uh, that can be a struggle. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to you know, still go out and do things and still come to work. Uh, I, I work for uh, Magic 97.7 in Vermont. So uh, fortunately, uh, as media people, we are considered essential workers. So uh, work and, uh, of course, doing the Anything Show has, has kept me very sane for the past eight or nine months. So uh, it's, it's been a roller coaster. I've had my good days and my bad days during this pandemic. But uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm here. And uh, on that note, how have you been, Jeffrey? You know, what's, what's, the, what's the pandemic been like for you? I've been doing great so far. I've been doing my best to stay away from people who may or may not have COVID. I seem to be feeling very fine right now. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, uh, the, the key thing is to <laughs> stay as far away from people who have COVID uh, so you don't get it yourself. Because obviously, you know, if we all get it, then uh, we're not going to be anywhere close to solving this pandemic and you know it doesn't hurt to listen to science wear your mask uh, do some social distancing uh, quarantine uh, when you come back from traveling from wherever uh, i think if we all follow this and and keep on the lookout for the vaccine that's supposed to be coming out i think we'll be uh, done with this pandemic sooner than we think well yeah and thank goodness there's you no know, been major progress on the vaccine so yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Pfizer came out with a vaccine that's like 95% effective. So uh, things are looking up. So you're the creator and host of your own entertainment news podcast titled The Anything Show with John Francois, which yeah. launched back in June of this year. How did that come about? Well, actually, uh, let me clarify that uh, The Anything Show, uh, it's been 
through several reincarnations dating back to uh, when I was in college, uh, back in like 2009, I really began to take it seriously as something that can be uh, attached to sponsors and something that can be released on podcasting platforms. That didn't happen until uh, the beginning of this year, you know, say roughly January, February. Um, it is a fun, quirky uh, pop culture hour that I do with my uh, friend, Mary. We uh, give our uh, quirky, witty takes on the uh, on trending headlines. We play back some funny viral videos. We uh, talk about Hollywood gossip. Occasionally, I may uh, interview a, a fabulous musician like, say, Stephen Wesley, who was on the show not too long ago. Uh, he is uh, a fabulous singer who uh, was in country but turned to pop. And he has a great background story in terms of uh, being in prison and then going from that to uh, working with big names in the music industry like T-Pain. So if you guys want to check that uh, interview out, that's actually the recent episode I posted for the Anything Show. It's, it's a rerun from a, a while back since it was Thanksgiving weekend and me and Mary needed a break. But nonetheless, uh, it's the recent episode that you can find of the Anything Show with John francois uh, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that, that that conversation with Stephen Wesley was, was great. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, when you listen to the Anything Show, I mean, we could go anywhere from, you know, talking about, uh, cheesy pickup lines to embarrassing Thanksgiving Google searches to, I don't know, uh, you know, someone uh, stirring macaroni in a pot to the tune of Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's WAP, which obviously is a very dirty song, as you probably know, Jeffrey. Uh, so a- anything can happen. Anything ha- anything goes on the Anything show is, is what I like to say. And how do you usually pick the news stories to talk about on your show? Well, uh, thankfully, with working at Magic 97.7 here in Lindenville, Vermont, we have access to a professional uh, show prep content service. So uh, while I uh, host a top 40 weeknight show here at Magic 97.7, uh, the content that I typically use for that show, uh, I also uh, use for the Anything show. And it's, uh, it's great because, you know, as you know, Jeffrey, from doing a podcast, it's, it's a grind. You know, you do it week after week or day after day, and you have to feed the beast. You know, there, there always has to be something to talk about to serve your listeners. So to have a, uh, a content service as my, at, at my disposal to, you know, remind me that, hey, you know, racist grandma was the top embarrassing Thanksgiving Google search in the state of California. Uh, it's, it's very helpful. It, it keeps my show alive and it keeps me interested. And what has been your favorite part of doing the podcast so far? Well, uh, my favorite part is definitely the interaction between me and my co-host, Mary. The reason why I got into radio is because I just love hearing uh, entertaining, relevant conversation between two or more people on the air. That's what it really comes down to. I mean, I've done and am currently doing for a living solo radio work. And that's good and all if you want to like really put your opinion out there and make it as focused as possible. But um, there's nothing like having a friend uh, with you in the studio and you guys are interacting about, you know, like we're like what we're going to talk about later on. I mean, actually, uh, you know, me, me and you, Jeffrey, we're going to talk about this uh, Spike Lee Viagra movie musical. Uh, me and Mary, uh, we're talking about that, say, a couple weekends ago on the Anything Show. And I, I just spent the whole time, you know, making inappropriate jokes about what the musical might be called, you know, stand at attention, the story of Viagra. Uh, and just hearing Mary's reactions off of that and having Mary bounce off jokes on her own. I mean, that's really the, the fun of the show is to just have uh, that friend with you that you can just 
you know, have a fun, uh, quirky conversation with as if you guys were just hanging out at the house, you know? And what you do on your show makes you a perfect guest for this series on my show. Are you ready to start talking about the new stories I've selected to talk about? Let's do it. All right. So first things first, one of my other side jobs is I'm a contributor for the awards website, goldderby.com, where, you know, it covers different, you know, award shows like the Emmys, Grammys, Oscars, and Tonys. And the Grammy Awards are the ones I'm usually least knowledgeable about. But in any case, nominations for this year's Grammy Awards were just announced. So do you have anything you'd like to say about them? Well, um, I would love to uh, wonder why artists are so hung up about the Grammys as if it's the be-all, end-all of their career. You probably know, Jeffrey, that The weekend complained about not being nominated at all for the Grammys. Uh, I don't know if you know Jeffrey, but he had the biggest, one of the biggest songs of the year, Blinding Lights, uh, which actually uh, recently celebrated its one-year anniversary on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, which is insane to me. Um, so The weekend had a great album, a, a great music coming out this year. He didn't get nominated. And uh, he says that it's because the Grammys saw that he was going to be the Super Bowl halftime performer and he couldn't perform on the Grammys because of that. So uh, the weekend felt like that was just an intentional snub from the Grammys. Uh, and, you know, he's going on calling them corrupt and that they should be transparent and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and, and all I could think about when I think about uh, artists being hung up about these award shows is, I mean, isn't uh, the fact that you're making music you love isn't the fact that you have fans, isn't the fact that you have a lot of money that you're making, you know, all that, isn't that enough? I, I just don't understand why these artists need this inanimate object as validation for all the great stuff that they already have. That's just me. Uh, Justin Bieber, he uh, complained that uh, he wasn't nominated in the R&B category of the Grammys. Uh, he wanted to be nominated in, in the R&B categories, but he was nominated in the pop category. And... Again, it's like, wow, well, you know, what happened to, it's an honor to be nominated at all. <laughs> and uh, Halsey, uh, who wasn't nominated at all, I think she uh, had the, uh, the same comment or complaint that The weekend had, which was, you know, in order to be nominated for the Grammys, you need to, you know, know the right people. You need to, you know, rub shoulders with uh, the big guys. I mean, you know, The weekend may be onto something that the Grammys are, you know, sort of a corrupt Rick thing. Maybe he's onto something. I just don't understand why, uh, in spite of the, the massive success that he's had and Halsey's had and Justin Bieber's had, that they think that this award is just going to change anything and everything. I mean, you know, you take the Grammys away um, and you just go on simple, you know, word of mouth and industry promotion. Uh, and I think The weekend, Justin Bieber and Halsey will, will, will be just fine. So that's just my opinion. Well, what, do, what do you think about the, uh, the, the Grammys? Uh, I mean, did you have any uh, opinion about the, you know, the weekend and Halsey and Justin Bieber complaining? Well, like I said, I'm usually not don't follow the Grammys as much, but yeah, I do echo a lot of what you said. And, and you, know, you know, when it comes to any award show, it's just an award. I mean, yeah. you should never be in any art form just to win awards. No, you should do the art form you aspire to do because you love the art form. You shouldn't do it just to win awards because if you do that, you know you're going to fail. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just do it because you love it and you'll be good. I mean, I, I guess when uh, you're a kid and you're an, you're an aspiring singer, you, you do that classic thing where you're in front of the mirror and you're like, oh my God, the Grammy, I won the Grammy. I'd like to take my agent, but... I think as you grow older, you grow wiser and you get a better sense of what means more. 
And what means more is just doing the content that you love and just hoping that, that people love it and will give you money based on it. So I think as long as you have all that, then you really don't need a trophy, some inanimate object to, to validate that. Um, that's just my opinion. Well, yeah. Plus, you know, if you're an artist, you know, you can only have one of two options. What would you rather have, the green or the gold? I mean, yeah. You know, uh, speaking of which, the Oscars, uh, the Academy Awards, which is the, the movie equivalent uh, to the Grammys. I mean, I, I've heard stories of, of actors and actresses who have won Oscars and their career really didn't go much of anywhere after that. Like that was the peak. Like there, there's this expectation that when you win these big awards, oh, you're set for life. You're making money and boom, 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 boom. But uh, I'm pretty sure if you look deeply in, into research, you'll find uh, countless artists and actors and, and whatnot who have won these major awards and uh, thought that it was going to do a big thing for their career, but it doesn't really that much. The award doesn't equal a paycheck. You don't get paid for this. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, and same could be said about the movies that win Best Picture. You know, Dances with Bulls was the Best Picture winner of 1990, yet the <coughs> movie that's still talked about from that year to this day is What It Beat, which was Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, look, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, Oscars and the Grammys, they do uh, produce buzz. It does produce a story. It does get people talking about your content. But <clears throat> there, there, there are a lot of cases where if you're already successful, maybe it won't move the needle that much. I don't know. That's, that's just my opinion. But wow. uh, the Grammys are going to be, I think, January 31st. And, I mean, have you heard if they're going to do uh, like a virtual Grammys or are they just going to do a regular with uh, everybody in the crowd? I Honestly, I haven't looked into that. I mean, I imagine they're probably still working on something if they'll have, you know, a traditional ceremony with all taking safety protocols into account or if they'll go virtual like the Emmys this past year. We're going to have to wait and see. I mean, well, they have less than two months to figure that out. Yeah, and it's uh, I, I do know that Trevor Noah from The Daily Show is going to be hosting. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very fabulous guy. I'd like to see how he does. And funny, because the last Grammys that we had, I believe that was maybe like the day or two after Kobe Bryant died. And also it was shortly before coronavirus just kind of popped up and, and exploded yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm, so, yeah. It gives you a perspective of how much we've gone through this year. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. So I guess moving on to our next news story, which, as you alluded to earlier, was something you already talked about on your show. And that is, you know, coming off of his recent Netflix movie, The Five Bloods, Spike Lee is set to direct a movie musical about Viagra. So <laughs> you chime in first. Well, first of all, I have not seen The Five Bloods on Netflix. Have you seen that new Spike Lee movie? I've heard good things about it. Well, yeah, I even got to give my thoughts on it on an episode where I gave some quick movie reviews a few months ago. Yeah. You know, Spike Lee's very interesting right now because obviously he's known as the guy that, you know, puts thought-provoking social commentary into his movies. So now he's going from that. The guy that's best known for, like, do the right thing is going from that to a musical about an erection pill that's versatility at its best and look as as a red-blooded straight male i'm attracted to this i'd like to see what spike lee does to it it, it definitely seems out of his comfort zone I, I do hear that it's based on an esquire article called all rise the untold story of the guys who launched viagra um, i don't know if you know this jeffrey did you know that uh, viagra was originally intended to be a heart medication uh, no i don't think so yeah so it was originally intended to help the heart 
And then researchers eventually discovered the game-changing side effects, which, of course, you know, helps spice things up in the bedroom. I mean, look, I'm not going to, you know, be dishonest here. I mean, despite the fact that I'm 29, I've, I've dabbled with Viagra in the past when I was, you know, feeling all anxious and overthinking about my, my sex life. Uh, but luckily, uh, my girlfriend did a great job in, you know, helping me uh, calm down about the thing. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, for the older man that the drug is based toward, uh, it's been very helpful. There's a reason why it's still here today. So I think that Spike Lee uh, made a unique choice in uh, diving into, you know, the phenomenon of this blue pill, as they say. I mean, are, are you excited about it? What do you think about this Viagra mu- movie musical? I think it's an interesting thing and i'll be curious to see it in fact to give further context the people who are writing songs for this are Stu and heidi rodewald who were the creators of the 2008 tony winning stage musical passing strange which spike lee actually taped for public release wow okay yeah passing strange i remember uh, seeing a production of that that was fabulous so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, have you seen a lot of Spike Lee's work? Do you, do you think that he's the right guy to handle this? Well, I haven't seen a lot of his work yet. I have seen Do the Right Thing, Black Klansman, The Five Bloods, and the Passing Strange taping he did. I also do have his recent taping of the David Byrne show, American yeah. Utopia, on HBO Max. So I'm definitely <laughs> planning to get around to that. Hey, Spike Lee is, the, is a very interesting character. I mean, you know, from social commentary to making a big splash because he couldn't get through Nick's games through the back door of Madison Square Garden to making a movie about boner pills. I mean, the guy knows how to do it. He's, he's been around for, I don't know, 30 or some years in the business. If, if this uh, movie had been done by, say, Ryan Murphy, oh. yeah, yeah, the guy responsible for American Horror Story, Nip Tuck, Glee. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I believe the O.J. Simpson story that yes. he, he did on that. Uh, if it was like from someone like Ryan Murphy, then I'd understand and I'd say, oh, yeah, Ryan Murphy seems like the right guy to tackle something like this. But Spike Lee, uh, that that's going to be very interesting because, again, he's, he's known as a social and racial commentary kind of director. Well, this would definitely mark his first time directing an actual movie musical. He was actually previously attached to direct the film adaptation of the Broadway hit Rent before Chris Columbus of Harry Potter and Home Alone fame eventually picked it up. Really? Huh. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I didn't know that fact about Rent. I really wonder now what a Spike Lee directed Rent would have been like. Yeah, and to this day, many people still wish they got to see what Spike Lee would have done with it. Whereas, you know, the film that came out, well, was met with a disappointing reception overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For our next news story, just as the 2017 Tony winner for Best Musical, Dear Evan Hansen, is currently being <coughs> adapted into a feature film, the Best Play winner of that year also is set to be adapted into a television movie at HBO that Steven Spielberg is executive producing. And the movie is set to star Andrew Scott and Ruth Wilson, and Oslo tells the true story about the Oslo Peace Accord. So, thoughts, John? I'm not too well-versed on the story behind the movie. I mean, what I do know is that it is based on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and how that was uh, settled into a peace agreement back in the 90s. I'm sort of aware of the work of the actors. I know one of them, I I believe, was in Sherlock. Yeah, Andrew Scott, he was Jamie Moriarty. Yeah. And And he, of uh, course, has gone on to become known as Hot Priest from Fleabag, and he's currently on the second season of Historic Materials, which also just happens to feature Ruth Wilson. Oh, cool. Cool. Very nice. And the actress, 
Uh, she was in movies like Saving Mrs. Banks. Mr. Banks. Yeah, I saw that movie. I think that's the one where Tom Hanks played Walt Disney and he was it trying was? to figure out how to adapt Mary Poppins into a movie. Well, he yeah. was trying to get the rights from P.L. Travers, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I do not remember seeing that actress in that movie, but I will look at the movie again and figure it out. But yeah, the first thing I thought about in terms of this Oslo movie about the you know Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, I thought about the show The West Wing. Have you watched The West Wing? I'm not sure if I actually have. <laughs> I believe I remember seeing a live fictional debate they did on TV once yeah. later in the run. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're talking about uh, the final season. I just watched that episode. The debate between, uh, you know, uh, the Democrat and Republican presidential candidates yeah. to, you know, kind of move along the election story that they were doing as the show was ending. But uh, earlier on the show in The West Wing, before the current administration was being pushed out to make way for the new administration. President Bartlett was dealing with uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians and trying to get them toward a deal. And pretty much everyone among his staff is saying it's not going to be able to happen. It's not possible. We're just going to have to go into war. So that's uh, what I thought of when I thought of this uh, Oslo movie is that, uh, yeah, this Israeli-Palestinian conflict is worth looking deeper into because, yeah, there's a lot behind it. So are you familiar with uh, the, the story and how it began and how it ended, the, the whole conflict? I'm not too familiar with it, but I do remember hearing about this play when it was on Broadway. <coughs> and in fact, we should say that the original playwrights, J.T. Rogers, is writing the adaptation, while Bartlett Scher, who directed the play on stage and was Tony nominated for his work, is repeating his directorial duties for the film, which, you know, is a rare thing to see the same director who did it on stage repeat their duties for their movie adaptation. So that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the fact that Steven Spielberg is attached to this, I mean, what better name? Because Steven Spielberg, what I love about him is that, you know, much like uh, Spike Lee, uh, Steven Spielberg, he, he's open to having a versatile portfolio. You know, I mean, on the one hand, he could give you the sort of simple pleasure of popcorn blockbusters like Shaw's, Indiana Jones. On another hand, he could give you movies that really dive into serious issues, you know, Schindler's List, this movie, Oslo, and I mean, The Color Purple. I forgot that Steven Spielberg also did The Color Purple. So yeah, I mean, you know, to have a director like that at your disposal who knows both uh, the crowd-pleasing movie and also, again, a movie that really just dives into a, an important historical story. It's just fabulous. And I think he's going to do a great job putting this together. Yeah, even the projects he produces, he, most of the time, he knows how to pick them. Yeah, and I think... Um, are you familiar with Animaniacs? Well, yeah, I remember watching episodes of that show when it was on the air, I believe. And I know a reboot of it actually just debuted on Hulu a couple weeks ago. Yeah, the original Animaniacs, yeah, the animated series, I think Steven Spielberg was also attached to that as well. Oh, well, yeah, he was executive producer on that and the reboot as well. Yeah, so again, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, he can, he can do family-friendly kid work. He can give you, uh, you know, sharks and, and explosions. Uh, he can give you a great uh, movie about Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he, he knows how to do it all, Steven Spielberg. He knows what he's doing. I guess now moving on to our final subject, we should take this moment to remember some industry veterans we've lost within this past month. And first up was legendary actor Sean Connery, who, of course, was best remembered as the original James Bond on the big screen. He died of dementia on October 31st at the age of 90. So would you mind giving your condolences, John? 
I did see a good portion of Sean Connery as James Bond. Of course, that was you know, the, the character that he's well known for. I thought that th- there was a very uh, obvious Scottish suave that he presented on the screen. The comedian Craig Ferguson, who used to have a late night talk show, he, he would do a great impression of, uh, of Sean Connery, which I cannot repeat because, you know, I just, I'm not good at impressions. But uh, yeah, I mean, Sean Connery was iconic in that James Bond role. He was the first James Bond. So he obviously set the pace for Daniel Craig, uh, Pierce Brosnan, uh, all those other James Bonds. I think Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, absolutely. I think Sean Connery enjoyed a later stage of his career being sort of parodied uh, for you know the way he presents himself because he started getting all gray bearded and retired and a little bit wacky you know what also comes to mind as an impression is uh, the one that uh, daryl hammond did on saturday night live uh-huh. like the jeopardy sketches with will ferrell as alex trebek oddly enough alex trebek also passed away recently yeah we'll get to him shortly yeah 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 you know even though i cannot say i'm the biggest and most knowledgeable fan of Sean Connery, I do deeply respect his place in the pop culture as as James Bond, as this guy that represents uh, sex appeal, that represents uh, you know fighting crime. I mean, it all started with Sean Connery. So, what can I say? I mean, what what, what about you? Do, do you have any interesting attachment to Sean Connery? Well, not necessarily, but I am definitely a fan of his performances in. Well, it was pretty much his post-James Bond career from his Oscar-winning turn in The Untouchables to playing Indiana Jones is Dead in the third Indiana Jones movie, It's Last Crusade. I forgot about that. I mean, you know, you got your Harrison Ford, you got your Sean Connery. I mean, you got these iconic stars. And I I definitely remember Sean Connery uh, being a very memorable, paternal thing of force on the screen as Indiana Jones is Dead. So... Yeah, it was was fabulous to see him in that context. Yes, and now moving on to Alex Trebek, who died of pancreatic cancer on November 8th at the age of 80. He, of course, was best remembered as the host of the long-running game show Jeopardy. In fact, he had filmed his final episode of Jeopardy like over a week before his death. So, thoughts, John? God, when I heard that on NPR on the radio, uh, the first thing I thought of was, you know, damn you 2020, like you, you've you already given us coronavirus and uh, many other notable deaths, I'm sure. And, and, you know, look, I mean, Alex, one thing I got to give him credit for is that he, he really fought. When his pancreatic cancer was announced, uh, I think sometime in 2019, mm-hmm. uh, he made it clear that he is not going to let this cancer overtake him or weaken him or stop him from doing what he loves to do. Uh, so he fought. He really fought, and he always sent out messages of positivity. You know, even though you could see in his voice and in his hair that, you know, pancreatic cancer was kind of taking him a little bit, uh, he still uh, hosted Jeopardy with such professionalism, such bravado. And, yeah, it, it, was, it was both sad to, to, to hear about his death, but to, to know that uh, he, he fought as, as much as he could, and he decided not to just give up and, and you know, die into nothing. The fact that he just decided to just keep on going, keep his work ethic going, was was very fabulous. And what I loved about what he uh, meant to Jeopardy, I was actually talking about this on um, my show uh, a couple weekends ago, uh, shortly after he died, The Anything Show with John Francois. And you can find that episode uh, that me and Mary did about Alex Trebek on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. What I love about Jeopardy is that it has this interesting mixture of being this sort of like elitist appealing brainy intelligent program but also being a 
a source of comfort food for Americans every night. It's interesting because when you think of comfort food on television, you think of like reality TV, you think Wheel of Fortune, uh, things like that. But with Jeopardy, what I loved is how you can watch the show and you, can, and you will not be able to get the question at all because, you, you know, it's too smart for you. But at the same time, you watch it like you watch, you know, Law and Order or Family Feud. Like it's just, okay, it's a weeknight, it's seven o'clock, it's time for Jeopardy. You know, let's watch Alex Trebek try to make us all into pretty smart people. Like it's just, you know, I, I got introduced to it via my grandparents because my grandparents, you know, like many other older people, you know, it, it was Jeopardy at seven. It was Wheel of Fortune at 7.30 every night. That took a lot of skill because honestly, mm -hmm. in America where, you know, we always like to go for the lowest common denominator, it's very easy for a show like Jeopardy not to succeed because again, it was just very brainy. But the fact that it could teach you something every night and also uh, be as massively successful as it was, I think that's just uh, phenomenal. What did you think about Alex Trebek? Oh, yeah, it was definitely very unfortunate. No, I'm not someone who frequently watches Jeopardy. I mean, I do watch Jeopardy casually. I mean, there was a moment a few years ago where I was watching every night, but I had to stop because it was just getting so addicting. But again, I do watch every <laughs> once in a while. And I definitely did watch the first episode that aired following his death. And they did fit in a moment where they did pay tribute to him. Yeah, yeah. Executive producer Mike Richards, he was uh, definitely emotional. He, he said something sweet about Alex Pryor. And from what I hear, originally Alex's last episode we were going to see on Christmas, but they decided to extend that into January. So I think there's going to be a period where we're going to see like the best of Alex Trebek. And then we're actually going to see his final taped episode uh, sometime in the new year. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that'll be a bittersweet moment. Mm -hmm. And not surprisingly, I did read a story that ratings for Jeopardy have pretty much skyrocketed because, of course... You know, everybody, everybody knows that mm -hmm. Alex had passed away and the episodes that you're seeing, they're going to be few and far between. And it'll get to a point where uh, we will have a permanent uh, replacement host. Now, now, have you heard of some of the names that are flying around to, to replace Alex Trebek? Well, I know it's been announced that Ken Jennings, who, of course, was the biggest champion in Jeopardy history, is, you know, at least going to be filling in as host for a while before they set on a permanent host. Yeah. Uh, so Ken Jennings, I know he's going to be guest hosting. I, I did hear that uh, LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow might be considered mm -hmm. as a replacement. Not a choice that I was thinking of, but I, it's a choice that I'm open-minded to because, I don't know, I mean, LeVar Burton uh, did a fairly good job with the educational program that is Reading Rainbow on CBS, or not CBS, on PBS. So that, that could be something. George Stephanopoulos, the ABC News guy, has been floated around as a Jeopardy host replacement. And I think way back, this is probably a wild idea. I think Ryan Seacrest was uh, considered as a Jeopardy mm. host replacement, but I don't know if Ryan Seacrest needs another job. Uh, oh, he yeah, already, he's already busy enough with Live with Kelly and Ryan and American Idol. American Idol, American Top 40, uh, his syndicated radio show on air with Ryan Seacrest. I mean, the guy has like 57 jobs. Enough Ryan Seacrest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I think I'd be open to George Stephanopoulos, LeVar Burton, uh, and, and who knows, maybe Ken Jennings, if he is in, in trouble, because I do hear that he, he's like embroiled in some tweet controversy right now. Well, and I believe he's also involved with this upcoming game show on NBC that's set to premiere in the new year. Oh, OK. So Ken Jennings might be busy. <laughs> but hey, I mean, I would say that the Jeopardy gig, it seems like it would be a hard one to pass up. Yeah. Yes, it's going to be very hard to follow Alex Trebek's shoes. I do not envy that person that has to do that. But if you do the job right, 
I mean, you're talking a, a fun set gig for the rest of your life. So, mm-hmm. And the final recent passing I'd like to acknowledge is actor David Prowse. He died following an illness on November 28th at the age of 85. And he was best remembered for playing Darth Vader in the original Star Wars trilogy, while James Earl Jones provided the voice. So, thoughts? With David, it's interesting because when anybody thinks Darth Vader, they think about the voice. And of course, that voice belongs to James Earl Jones. And I think there may have been some people, maybe myself at one point, who thought that, oh, whoever's doing the voice must also be in the costume. It's really interesting how the guy who is in the costume is not the one doing the voice. And I think it's because he had like a really thick, like Scottish accent or some kind of UK accent. And it just didn't match with the tone that the Star Wars people were going for for Darth Vader. But how about that? I mean, uh, God knows how much he was paid to just be in the Darth Vader costume and make, you know, all these sort of gestures with his hands while James Earl Jones was the one that provided the voice work. What do you think about that? I mean, do you think that there was a lot more that David Prowse did as Darth Vader than than we're led to believe? Well, yeah, it was apparently George Lucas wanted a darker voice than Prowse's West Country accents. Yeah. I think both David Prowse and James Earl Jones both deserve credits where credit is due when it comes to bringing (laughs) Darth Vader to life. Like, yes, James Earl Jones, he definitely had the perfect voice for Vader, but, you know... We shouldn't overlook Prowse's overall contributions and bringing him to physical life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the physicality of a character is just as important as the vocal delivery. So I'm definitely not knocking David Prowse's character. I'm just wondering if uh, a lot of people are being introduced to him right now and and are surprised by the fact that, oh, wait, what? The guy that was in the Darth Vader costume also didn't do the voice? Like, you know, it's, it's very interesting to think, of, uh, to think of it from that perspective. Well, but. I imagine maybe some casual Star Wars fans or people who aren't Star Wars fans are just getting to know that, while I'm sure the diehard ones already knew. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, rest in peace, David Prowse, Alex Trebek, and... Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Jeffrey, I mean, it's been a pleasure being on your show. I mean, we, we talked about some interesting pop culture things today. Well, yeah, John, I thank you very much for joining me today. It was great getting to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. And, and before you go, I'd just like to remind your listeners that if you're into the, the awesome uh, pop culture content that Jeffrey brings you every week or every day, uh, you can get more of that on The Anything Show with John Francois, uh, my show. Uh, we're on a few community radio stations around the country, but if you cannot listen to us locally, uh, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. I believe uh, this coming show, we're going to get into cheesy pickup lines that make you cringe, like, feel my shirt. Do you think it's made of boyfriend material? And I must be in a museum because you're a work of art. Cheesy pickup lines like that is what me and my co-host Mary might get into uh, on the next episode of The Anything Show. Yeah, it's, it's fun, trending pop culture chatter. Me and Mary, we go through headlines, we go through viral videos, Hollywood gossip, <laughs> Uh, catch us every uh, Sunday when we usually publish episodes and that's about it so thank you Jeffrey for being, for having me on your show and, and I hope to be back again sometime oh hey you're welcome anytime you'd like and I was going to ask for those who'd like to keep up with your career where can people find you on the internet any social media platforms you'd like to let people know about where they can follow you yeah absolutely so you can uh, follow the anything show on Facebook at facebook.com slash the anything show that's facebook.com slash the anything show Uh, Like us there, follow all our content there. And uh, we're also on Instagram at anything show Francois. That's anything show Francois spelled F-R-A-N-C-O-I-S. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and we'd love to have you. So thank you again for joining me today, John. This was great.
Awesome. Thank you, Jeffrey. And uh, take care and, and stay safe and healthy through this pandemic. You too. If you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratesthispodcast.com slash podcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at carereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.